talking about Judas tonight. Everyone's favorite topic. Betrayal. The betrayer. Somebody so infamous that, that every time we take communion, it's, it's the tagline of the communion in the night that Jesus was betrayed. We say it every week and we remember it. So what's the big deal about Judas? Uh, we're going to try to dig into it a little bit, and I'm going to try to keep my eye on time here so we don't go, go too long. But let me read it, and then, uh, and then we'll go from there. John chapter 13, starting in verse 18 through 30. John 13, verse 18 through 30. Jesus says, I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill this this passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I'm telling you now, before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me, accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another, at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him, Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. What are your thoughts about, that, about the story of Judas? What stands out to you when we read over that and uh, start talking about Judas, the betrayer? Amen. Let's, let's talk about this Saint, Satan entering him thing. And, you know, we've talked about how it feels, it feels unjust, maybe, that somebody would would have to play this role in the story. And, and I get that. I feel that. It, it feels like, um, like the question we've talked about with Pharaoh and, and, you know, he hardened his heart and then God hardened his heart. And it feels like that's, you know, well, why is God hardening Pharaoh's heart? You know, it seems like God is intervening in, you know, in free will and, and whatnot. But I think to understand it, uh, you know, we, we, have to, we, have to, uh, we have to get maybe the bigger picture. 
of, of all, you know, as much as we can know about Judas. So really quickly, I just, I want to look at a few, a few verses. Starting with the prophecy that Jesus uh, mentions here in verse 18, which comes from Psalm 41, verse 9, which in Psalm 41, it says, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. So this was, this was a part of the prophecy that had to be fulfilled. And so Jesus would know that. Jesus would know that there's a prophecy about the bread and someone who's going to betray him that would have to be filled. And here in verse 18, it says right after that, he says, um, or right before that, it says, I know those I have chosen. And you rem- do you remember the night that Jesus went before he chose the disciples? I don't know if you remember, because was, that was actually all the way back in Luke when we went through Luke. Um, but the night before Jesus invited the disciples to follow him, he went out and he spent the whole night in prayer and he prayed all night long about who he should invite to be the 12. So, so he, you know, he, he really wrestled and struggled with these 12 that he chose to follow him. And part of that strain, part of that struggle had to be knowing he had to, he had to choose somebody who was going to be a betrayer. He had to make a choice about someone who would betray him. So this is, a, this is a, something that Jesus chose, or at least, at least uh, had an, an idea of what needed to happen and, uh, and was a part of his process of choosing the 12 disciples. Luke chapter 6 says, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So long before, you know, at least in the story, they're, they're, they start calling him, from the first mention of Judas, they start calling him the traitor. Uh, and, and that there's, there's, they're starting to differentiate between Judas and the other disciples. It seems like he's different. He's, he seems to stand out from the other 12 uh, in the way he acts and behaves. And John chapter 12, verse 4 through 6 says, But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objective, this is when the perfume is being uh, used to wash Jesus' feet, and he says, Well, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. And he didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So all of the apostles, the 12 apostles, seem to have different jobs as a part of their traveling ministry, and, and Judas's job is to be the keeper of the money bag. He's in charge of the finances. He's the treasurer of the group. And it's, it's, it's ironic that he was chosen probably because he was, he was probably a thief. That may even have been a part of what, what clued Jesus into the kind of person he was. Maybe he was a thief before Jesus chose him, and, and, and Jesus knew that he would help himself to the money bag and be driven by, by that greed. But he still does it. He betrays him for money. Now, this passage about Satan entering him, we don't really know exactly what it means. We, don't, we just know that Satan entered him. We don't know if this is if this is complete possession, like if, if Judas is completely possessed by the devil and he's no longer acting in his own, uh, of his own accord in any way, shape, or form, or if he's just kind of got an oppression 
and he's just under the influence of, but still has some of his own faculties. We don't really know the, what, which one is happening. We just know that Satan entered him. But it may be similar to what happened with King Saul in 1 Samuel 16. Because Saul, you know, Saul had an evil spirit torment him. And when this evil spirit would torment Saul, he would find himself wanting to kill David, who was God's anointed, God's chosen one. And so he, he was you know, under the influence of this evil spirit, whatever it was. It could be something similar to that. We know that he was bribed with these 30 silver coins. And uh, he had a plan already in place to betray Jesus. And, and all, of that was, all of that was set up and arranged before Satan enters into him. Right? Because Satan doesn't enter into him right here at this moment when he receives the bread. But before all of that, Judas had already come up with a plan. He had already talked with the chief priests and the leaders to that, uh, about, a, about a time, about setting up a time to betray him and how he was going to betray him and arranged a price for the betrayal. So even before, before he's you know, possessed or oppressed by Satan, he's already got uh, a plan in place to betray Jesus. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 3 uh, when, when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. And we, we end up finding out later that he, he takes his own life, that he couldn't deal with the, re, with the regret of what he had done and ends up taking his own life and falling down and his guts get you know, opened up and real nice graphic, graphic picture. But that's, that's about all we know about Judas. We don't, we don't have a, a whole picture to, to really know who he was and what kind of person he was before Jesus called him. Um, it's easy to assume, and I think it's probably right to assume, that he, that he had a sketchy character before Jesus called him. And he seems to be somebody who, who maybe never really bought in to, to Jesus. But yet, at the same time, he was one of the twelve, right? He was one of the twelve. So on the, on the one end of the spectrum, we've got that Judas is this bad guy who was bad all along. He's a wolf in sheep's, sheep's clothing, and this, this is kind of the picture we get a little bit from John. John's probably trying to portray Judas in this light, or at least it seems that way. But at the, but at the same time, it, it has some problems because, because we see Judas's remorse, right? We see him after he has done this deed, he's, he realizes it was wrong. He's, he, he regrets what he's done. So, so there at least seems to be some some amount of conscience left in him. And even though Jesus, Jude, Jesus knew Judas would betray, um, we don't know if Judas, when he was chosen, knew that he was going to betray Jesus. So, you know, it's, it's really hard to imagine that somebody would pull off a three-year con and, and have this plan hatched out in advance 
So maybe something happened along the way that changed his mind. Some argue that, well, Judas maybe had no, no autonomy because Satan entered him. But like we said, he made the deal beforehand, which would maybe lead some to believe that there's some kind of resentment, that, that Jesus was supposed to be bringing in this big kingdom, and Judas thought he was going to be a part of the key leadership of this big kingdom. And then it's looking different. After three years, he doesn't like what he sees. So he decides to, decides to go a different route and maybe go after an insurrectionist. Now, one, one author says, During Jesus' day, the people of Israel were under the rule of Rome. They desperately wanted to overthrow their oppressors and reestablish their nation. They needed an anointed king to lead them in this quest. Could it be Jesus? Clearly, he was chosen by God. He performed miracles. He spoke with authority about a new kingdom. He attracted huge crowds. And maybe this is why, maybe this is why Judas is thrown into shock when Jesus receives the death sentence. That, that maybe Judas didn't realize that his betrayal was going to lead to Jesus' death. Maybe, maybe he was just trying to get Jesus you know, thrown into prison. But everything was changing and he, he wasn't really on top of it. So, what can we learn from Judas? What gets you nowhere? Thieving. Yeah, thieving gets you nowhere. That's a good one, Alex. What do you think we can learn from, from Judas? Well, let me go over a few of the, few of the observations here that I think, we can, I think we can learn. First is Judas made a commitment Jesus invited Judas to follow him, but Judas made the commitment to follow. He chose to be one of his followers. And there's, there's no reason to doubt the sincerity of his faith. We, we know that, that he was there, that he went with, went with Jesus on his entire ministry. And it looks like he was very actively involved. Probably was given spiritual gifts. He, was, he probably received you know, the spirit like the others did, right? And, and Luke chapter 9, verse 1, 1 through 12, we learn that, that Jesus called the 12 together, which included Judas, and this is the verse, it says, gave them, the 12, the power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So Judas would have been one of those 12 that went out to heal and to proclaim the kingdom of God and had the spirit to, to be able to cast demons out of people and to cure diseases. Which makes, which makes Judas a, an evangelist. It makes him a, you know, an itinerant preacher who traveled and, and preached the gospel of Jesus. Right? 
He, was, he, was involved, he wasn't just actively involved in supporting the ministry, but he would have been somebody who was also ministering himself. So he made a commitment, and we see that he was a part of, that, of fulfilling that commitment. Now, maybe he wasn't all in like the other disciples were all in, but we don't hear anything in any description to really tell us that, that he wasn't at least a, a part of these events when Jesus sent them out to, to do ministry. And Judas had the opportunity. Judas had the chance, right? He had the chance to, to be one of the twelve. He was with Jesus for three years. He saw Jesus live a perfect, sinless life. And he was up close and personal with Jesus. He had a relationship and, and friendship with Jesus. You can't have a better model of faith than Jesus himself. There's no better environment to live in if you're wanting someone to become a follower of Jesus than to be one of Jesus' 12 disciples walking with him day in and day out. Judas witnessed directly all of the miracles, right? He was there when Jesus fed the 5,000. He was one of the ones who took bread and distributed it among, among with, along with the other disciples. He was there when Jesus calmed the storm, when they were out on the storm, worried for their lives. He was there when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. He was witness, firsthand witness, to all of these miraculous deeds. So he saw the power himself. He was a firsthand listener and recipient of Jesus' teaching. He was there to hear the Sermon on the Mount. He, he heard all of the sermons and all of the teachings. He heard all of the warnings that Jesus spoke to the Pharisees. He heard the parable of the prodigal son and knows that God is there to welcome and forgive those uh, who have wasted themselves and many sins like greed and the things that come along with it. With his own eyes, he saw the evidence. With his own ears, he heard the teaching. And with his own feet, he followed Jesus' example, and yet he still betrayed. Jeremiah chapter 17 says that the human heart is beyond understanding. It's something incomprehensible about a person who abandons the faith that they once professed. It's hard to understand how a young person raised by godly parents in the context of a healthy church taught the truths of Scripture from an early age and grounded in truth can give up on Jesus. But, like Becky was saying, Judas has a very important lesson for parents, for teachers, for pastors, for leaders, for friends who grieve over someone who's lost their faith. Because we might worry, where did we go wrong? What more could we have done? Did we fail in our teaching? Did we fail in our example? Should we have immersed him or her in, in a different environment? But Judas shows that you can be in the best environment with the best teacher, with the most evidence, with the finest training and the finest example, and still go off in your own direction. Because you can't change the human heart. And ultimately, this, even though Satan enters him, we know that this was a choice that he made. Judas made this decision. 
it appears that there was probably a relentless attack by Satan on Judas. That, there was, that he maybe dealt with maybe more than, than others. But we know that, that Satan entered to him, into him and that the devil had already put it in his heart. John chapter 13, verse 2, at the beginning of the chapter we're studying. And while we might, might say, well, that's not fair, poor, poor Judas... The truth still remains, Judas opened the door to Satan. Whether it was his stealing, the things he had kept in secret, or the decision he had made to betray, he opened the door. He gave Satan a foothold, which, which unconfessed sin always does. Klaus, Klaus Schilder says, it is the peculiar majesty of Jesus that he can conquer man without man's first approaching him. But Satan's frailty is proved by this, that he cannot approach a soul unless that soul has first turned to him. Jesus, as we've learned in the book of John, in the Gospel of John, that, that, that God draws people and Jesus can draw people to himself. The Father calls and draws people, but Satan does that, doesn't have that ability. Only when, when people turn to him does he have the ability to lead them astray. So we don't need to fear Satan. He's been defeated by the cross. That's one of the things that we celebrate every Easter and every week when we, when we take communion. Satan was defeated. He has already been defeated. He, has, he no longer has power. Um, the, the power that he had is now subservient to the power of Christ, and those who are in Christ are no longer, no longer under the dominion of darkness. So we don't have to be afraid of Satan or that somehow he's going to gain some kind of secret access to us or, or to our families or to our kids who believe. If they believe, then he doesn't have access. They are protected from that. They are, they are a part of God's kingdom. And at the end, as sad as the story may be, this, the outcome of his story was one that, that, he, was, that he was moving himself toward. He chose the path and he chose to walk in that darkness to, to betray. And when we, when we decide to follow Jesus, one of two things happens. We either, we either become wholly his and we follow him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, or we end up alienated and walking away. And there are many who hate Christ, many who once professed in him. Maybe it's because his claims are so exclusive or, or his demands are so pervasive but in the end, we either have to give ourselves to him completely or give up altogether. There's no middle ground. We can't kind of be in or kind of be out. We have to be all in or all out. It's interesting, the world that we live in today, I don't know if, you've, if you're familiar with these stories, but there are... There are thousands and thousands of deconversion stories. Have you heard about this? So it's a very, a very trendy thing that's, that's been happening for the last decade or so. 
a lot of a lot of people who believed are now have deconverted and become unbelievers and renounced their faith and walked walked away and made public statements of this. Um, uh, one of those one of the popular ones that maybe you maybe you know well, there are several popular ones but one that you may recognize is Joshua Harris, who wrote a book in the uh, late mid to late nineties called I Kissed dating goodbye and he wrote another book and he was all about you know you know real pure righteous kind of life and relationships and all that stuff and then something you know somewhere along the way he started to go off the rails and now he's he's renounced all of his own teachings and all of his own writings and he's walked away from Jesus and believes in something uh, something weird and different at this point in time but it's just, you know, it's just a, a, another example of, of Judas. Now, this is, this is kind of a hard teaching because it, it means that there are people who, who can be in who choose to go out. That, that, that people who will choose to follow Jesus and receive the Spirit and work in the kingdom and the ministry of Jesus choose to leave. And that's, that's a hard teaching. But the, the truth of it is, God will never do anything to let you go. God will never do anything that would, that would cause us to lose our security. God will always remain faithful. That's why he is God. He cannot break a promise. He will not go back on anything that he said. As Jesus said, he holds us in the palm of his hand. And we cannot be, can't, nothing can take us out of the palm of God's hand. But Judas, the story of Judas would, would make us think that there are those who drift away from the faith. So what do we do? What do we do with those who drift from the faith? Well, I think, I think Jude actually gives us a great answer. We've, we talked about this a few years ago. Jude, verse 22 and 23, he says, Be merciful to those who doubt. And save others by snatching them out of the fire. I think it's easy when, when we feel someone drifting or we feel someone you know, starting to resist or when, when they maybe are drawn into the pull of culture and society and, and maybe are wanting, you know, feel this kind of draw away from their faith. To want, to want to get in there and argue, right? We want to get in there and say, well, yeah, but, but that's, this, you know, this is wrong and, and this is right, and, and, but you're wrong about this and this is what's right, but, but, but you're wrong about this and this is what's true and you can't argue with the truth. And we want to kind of get in there and we want to fix everything, right? We want to argue and, and try, to, try to win the argument. But I think Jude really gives us some wise advice. He just says, be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatch, snatching them out of the fire. We ultimately know that nothing good happens when you give up on Jesus. He never gave up on us. We should never give up on him. And at the same time, by being his disciples, we, we should continue to be merciful to those who feel like they're giving up and just always be there and willing to be, be that merciful caring, kind servant to hopefully draw them back in to the fold and be a part of, of God's family and God's kingdom once again.
Any thoughts or questions about, about that before we wrap up? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story, the story of, of the gospel, the whole story, even the difficult parts of it. We thank you that even in the challenging story of Judas, we can learn something for ourselves. That the, that the temptation is always there, even though we're in, even though we are, we're secure in your hand that there will always be the tempter there trying to lure us away, trying to get us isolated from the flock, isolated from the rest of the family of God, and, and lead us in a different direction and entice us into something different. I pray, Father, that the story of Judas would be a good warning for us to remind us how important it is to to stay in and stay connected and, and to not let the influence of, of society like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and, and the crowds had influence over Judas, to, to not let that, that societal, cultural influence draw us away from the family of God or away from the church. And I pray, Father, that you would just embolden us in our faith tonight, that you would just help us to see what a great gift that we've been given to be to be brought into God's family and what a gift it is to be, to be a part and a follower of Jesus. And I pray that you would just give us a desire and, and a passion for those who are outside the faith, whether they've never been in or whether they've walked away, that you would give us the, the mercy and the compassion that they need to draw them back in, that we can be, as Jude said, merciful to those who are drifting or merciful to those who, who doubt. Help us to come alongside those who doubt. Maybe even if it's us from time to time, gather in this room or as a part of this family, that we would be able to be merciful to one another as we struggle and doubt along this journey. May we come alongside and encourage and lift one another up as we follow you day in and day out. In Jesus' name.